1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: hi this is ryan fraser this is troy dane this
3: is gas Boyet. this is don Hutchison. this is your club and you're listening to the big interview with graham hunter
1: thank you jürgen i traveled to all these interviews from barcelona and our socios our beloved members keep us on the road this independent podcast would not happen without them Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Graham Hunter and we'll bring you joy. way back at what seemed then felt like the start of a football season, I tipped Brendan Rodgers Leicester to be the disruptors which broke into the big four. When play was suspended by this damn virus, they sat third in the league, closer to Man City in second than they were to Chelsea in fourth. Buzzing. Leicester as a club is a systematic success. But Brendan Rodgers has become a huge part of that system. And his career at this point leaves no room for doubting that he's in the top tier of coaches. Promotion and a mid-table Premier League finish with a beautiful Swansea team. So close to that elusive league title with Liverpool. A perfect domestic season with Celtic and now this. Leicester playing with all their organisation, relying on good signings, but playing with a flow and a verve and a system that's bewitching. I wanted to talk to Brendan about all of this, but as you'll hear, I was also fascinated by his life immediately before his coaching career began when he chose to travel repeatedly to a country that he'd identified as ground zero for the type of football he wanted to stake his reputation to, Spain. Here's part one of my big interview with Brendan Rogers, with more coming extremely soon. Thank you for listening. We've got the enormous pleasure of uh, an extremely uh, lean, tanned, and approximately 28-year-old Brendan Rogers with us right at the moment to, to talk football. And, and Brendan, I'm going to pin your ears back. I'm sorry, but this is a beautiful... Welcome to the big interview. Um, an an honour and a pleasure to have you here. We've had about 14.5 million listens to a series where all we want to do is pick the brains of people whose, whose football careers basically we envy, including... Yours. Um, Thank you for joining us. I want to start, first of all, I really want to know, when you're young and when you're watching football, what is it that makes your eyes like saucers? What is it that starts to go beyond, I like football, I can play football? What did you see? Who influenced you that made you say, I like that specifically about football? These are the things that that have marked
3: I think when you're young Graham you 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 love football because of the game. You love watching the game. You you look at games and obviously when we were growing up when we were younger it was normally finals and cup finals that was on the telly. So uh, so that was what what was the big influence, you know, seeing seeing big games live on telly. And then seeing a winner at the end. And obviously seeing players do magical things, creative things. And uh, and that was always something that was, was born into me from from a really, really young age with, with my father. Because my father loved Brazilian football. Would never had the chance to obviously watch it so much. But any time there was anything Brazilian, he, he absolutely loved them. So my influence for that type of football, creative football, was 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 there very much from a young age do you know we 've got the we 've got the massive privilege now in your office you 've got
1: computer apps that can can probably allow you to watch football that hasn 't been played yet everything's so technologically brilliant why what about brazilian football and and how
3: did he fall so in love with it in that era well he loved peli peli was his peli was the idol for him in terms of the game so probably seeing him from a young player at 17 playing for Brazil and obviously because they could do he loved the skillful player you know he didn't just like the player that ran up and down the pitch it was it was you know he, he his delight was in seeing skillful players do things with the ball that others couldn't and uh, uh that was what he loved about the Brazilians i suppose there was that they they played with that expression and that skill and that flair And of course, that always takes the eye and it it certainly took his eye. So he wouldn't have... When Maradona
1: came to the fore, he would not have been one of those who said, okay, Maradona's better. For him, it would always have been Pelé because he experienced it, he saw it. That was the figure that lit his eyes up as a young man.
3: Yeah, I think... And it's interesting, actually, Graham, because Pelé and and, and the Brazilian team way back then, those were the guys that lit up his eyes, yet for me... Uh, Maradona was you know was what uh, was someone that just I adored when I was a young young guy coming through because he did startling things because he was
1: arrogant because you didn't see control or impishness like him in other games.
3: Yeah, just incredible talent. You know, I think because what I'm obviously I was going to say when I was small, when I was younger, but I'm still small. <laughs> you know, I didn't grow so much, unfortunately. But but my sort of stature was small, and when I looked at Maradona, he he was small. He was left footed. I was left footed. So you had this inspiration of a player um, that you could look at and see doing magical things with the ball, and um, and of course. When you're young, it's those types of, of players that inspire you.
1: And does that give me a gateway into something you knew I was going to ask you about? Because I've spent the last 19 years of my life living here in Spain, and I know that you've used Spanish football as a, as a gigantic resource to to test out ideas, to, to learn. It's inspired you. But one of the things that over the generation that I've been watching here has been this extraordinary ability, ability of smaller men to say, I don't care if I'm playing against a team of giants, my timing, my use of space, my touch, my quick circulation of the ball will negate the fact that they're a stone and a half, two stone heavier than me and, and half a metre taller than me. Does that link a little bit into your love of the the Spanish school?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, was, uh, it was a huge part of it. You obviously, Probably maybe realizing as I was grown, I was never going to rely on my physicality, um, and and looking at arguably the best players in the world were normally smaller in profile, uh, but certainly Spain is a reference. They played a, a highly technical game, relying on you know understanding of football technique, speed of thought, and that was always something I felt when I was a young player. In particular, and then coming through that I would have to rely on, but the but the Spanish influence with the Dutch was was um, was very prominent in my mind from from a young age. I I have to go to Windsor
1: Park in 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 two thousand and six in that case because we're we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what you learned, and what you like, and your relationship with Dilboski and Barcelona and Valencia. But <clears throat> you know it. It really all starts, it, it, it kickstarts. They had the beautiful players, they had Chabi Alonso and they had um, Iniesta and Xavi and Raul in those days when they come to play Northern Ireland. Now, I don't know if you were able to watch that game that night but it, it, it stands as a sort of eureka moment in Spain in that the, the way they were treated, the, the manner of the defeat... Literally, there was a pre and post, and Luis Aragonés, thanks to Northern Ireland winning 3 2, David Healy's hat trick, just went right, none of that anymore. Goodbye forever, Raul. You know, goodbye forever, Salgado. Welcome in, David Villa, uh, uh, emphasis on Silva. Uh, you know, you look back on that game in 2006, and
3: you know, do you feel extra proud of what Northern Ireland did that night? Well, I think in that period, Graham Northern Ireland were, were getting some incredible results if you think of the result against England as well around that, that time um, but going to Windsor Park for any team was always going to be difficult um, and of course the Spanish team the technicians the quality that they have Northern Ireland will always have to play a different type of game or what they would feel in order because if they go you know in terms of man for man against some of the best players in the world it was always going to be difficult but like you say from that result comes uh the debrief and you have to go through those moments you know as a as a coach player manager because that's what ultimately makes you better and like you say from losing a game like that or or a result like that in northern ireland of course that would that would allow for a great reflection but of course it can also improve uh, for years going forward. What's Windsor Park like for an op- opposition
1: team? Is it intimidating?
3: It is, yeah. I, I, I was first there as a I played uh, funny enough uh, an international game there as an under 15 um, we played actually Brazil in a, funny enough in a in an international game so um, it wasn't the best game in the world, it was 0-0 and they, they were touring the, the British Isles at the time, playing the home nations. And that was my first time there. I'd been there as a, a young supporter. And then uh, I'd, I'd been recently uh, with with Celtic. I, I uh, was manager there when we played in a, uh, a Champions League qualification game. And then I was there recently uh, to watch Northern Ireland play Germany. And Northern Ireland supporters like Scottish, that there's a passion there's a there's a, a raw passion, and and they get behind their own and uh, and like I say, the noise there is is absolutely incredible. So of an evening like that, that 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 would be and especially when the tails are up, that that that's a tough game for for any country to come and play in.
1: I can't help but ask, but it's my last one before moving on to, my, to what I want to know about your Spanish library. If your dad's head over heels in love with the iconic jerseys, Brazilian football. And there's this boy playing at Windsor Park against Brazil. Wasn't that something of a special moment for the family, for you feeling looked at and and him saying, boy, son, this is the right opponent for me to admire.
3: I I never, because of where I came from, Graham. I never played an 11-a-side game of football till I was 13. Because in my primary school, we didn't play, my secondary school, we didn't play, uh, so I actually didn't play an eleven-a-side game of football till, like I say, I was thirteen. So, and then very quickly I was spotted and and made the international schoolboy team, which was amazing. But yeah, the, the feeling I suppose to to go out. I, I got the number ten jersey as well, the Brazilian shirt, which was absolutely iconic. And uh, yeah, it would have been really really proud, proud moment for him.
1: I, I see now why you began to. Come to Spain. And and I'd like you to explain to our listeners a little bit about the way in which, if I remember it correctly, uh, once you, you told me that the structure of Barcelona's football weekends are such that you can come and graze right across the picnic table. <laughs> Try and tell people what, what, what was it? Because you kind of went, I'm going there. That's what I'm going to do. Just talk us through the the logical process of what you wanted to do and how it felt to be in Barcelona of of a given weekend when you were there as a, kind of like a scholar of football.
3: Yeah, and I've been on a number of trips. I came on my own. I came with other coaches, and then I actually, you know, I took my son so that he could be born into the the feeling of of Barcelona as well. I remember taking Anton, and, and it was and it was exactly that. It was as you say, Graham. It was and in, in a in a wonderful, you know football city we would book into a hotel and I would I would go I'd watch the young players play um or you know the cadetes and the juveniles and, 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 and the guys Morning. and then we would then work our way through to the uh, the B team and always try and time it so that the obviously the B team would have been playing at home and you always had that feeling that you were sat in the mini stadium watching the B team and then just in the distance, in the, the close distance, you could see you could see the, the camp now. But not only that, you could hear the music because the music would start just before the game. They were obviously practising to make sure the music would go. But there was just this incredible feeling of football from watching the kids and the talents all playing the same way with the same philosophy. Could you see that? That, Because what people need to understand is that on the Sunday morning, you're
1: out at the training ground, which is out towards the airport, and you can get in. And and when you say the cadetes and juveniles, you could have watched a range of 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, but you you reckon you could identifiably see youngsters who'd been schooled to do the same thing with space, with position, with passing the ball. You, You could actually go, ah, look, look, Anton, that... Can't you see? It's like an alphabet they've all learned.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's 100%. And and that was the the passion for me in the fact that you you had a top-to-tail philosophy that was very, very clear. So the young players coming in came into a process. And people don't understand the discipline needed to not just play that way, but to work that way for so many years through generations you know, that that tactical discipline to get young players to think about the game in a different way, positionally, understand the game and understand the why and what they're doing on the pitch, that really always, always struck me because that's a top organisation from the very, very top, of course, from, from Cruyff when they really introduced it at that moment... And then that fed all the way through, and actually and, and if you remember after McRoy, that you know there was periods there in Barcelona where they didn 't always have the success, but they stayed with it and stayed with it, and then they had the golden generation, which then really lit up the philosophy and and brought it to its maximum with with, with pep so um but you could clearly see that, and that's that was my that was my joy. And obviously I went around other, you know, Sevilla, I would have went around there to Valencia as well. You know, other clubs that, that, that had a, a real correlation between what they were doing at the top level uh, to, to the youth teams. But I always felt that, that, that Barcelona was the, was the club that you could see as clear as anyone in terms of how they moved, how they played and, uh, and, and all the concepts. Two supplementaries. You you talked about the discipline. That was the phrase you used. And,
1: and I, I imagine you mean, because I, I haven't got your qualifications. I, didn't, I couldn't play like you. So I, I'm dependent on my eyes and my understanding. I, I, what I think is that a lot of people worry that passing possession football can be stifling. There's a lot of people who maybe are just used to red meat football. Yet the discipline is to say... If you have the ball, we're going to train you 10,000 times to automatically do this so that you don't even think. And when all those pieces fit together, the improvisation comes when you've drawn the other team ragged and suddenly you can do the things that everybody has inside and say, I see that brilliant pass. I'm going to try that. You know, David Villa's bent to at the top left hand corner at Wembley in 20- 20. It, it, uh, uh, are those the themes you're talking about,
3: about discipline and systems
1: and and, and constant
3: practice? The positioning game is, is of course, the, the the huge tactical discipline in the game that that, that is not easy, you know, to, to coach and to work, especially with players, because no, players normally want to, to follow the ball. They want to, it's like, you know, jam-jar football. You know, <laughs> wherever the ball goes, when you're young, you see about 20 players. So to to... You know, to to coach players to not only believe in that way of working, but to to coach them emotionally that this is going to improve them and, and help them as, as as football players. Then, uh, of course, there's a lot of skill in that. But but that was what um, that was what for me Barcelona were what were amazing at from from the kids right the way through. They they would allow they would take the team up into that final third of the pitch, and then of course it's also about that quality. You know, because you can have good positioning, you can have, you know, the, the space is opened up, you know, you can show the opponent every line on the field, but you still need the individual talent when you arrive there. And of course, what they were great at, at Barcelona was not only having a, a, a philosophy of and an a, an a style of football and a system, but also they have recruitment that was bringing in top players.
1: How did you navigate your, your way around Spain because a lot of people have come to me you were a, you were a young man, you were there to learn it wasn't I bet as if every club just they might have helped you, but I bet they didn 't throw the doors open and say we'll send a car brendan you, you have to be agile, you have to cope with learning the language you have to cope with the heat the time how, how did this journey of discovery go were there setbacks did people help you or were they welcoming what was what was Sp- what your experience of spanish culture when you went there as a sort of pioneer
3: well what i learned graham was how to treat someone when they come into your country because i was always treated very very well i was given great access And it really opened my eyes when I was a really young coach that no one would know. You know, when I went to to Spain, all of the clubs were very reciprocal to me coming, letting me watch training, letting me understand how they functioned and how they worked. And I was, you know, you would always get your your coffee and be looked after, you know. And, uh, and, And as far as, you know, guys being, you know, asking me to stay in their house and you know when I would go to Valencia I stayed with a, a very famous player there he was working for us at the time at Chelsea Juan Sol and Juan Sol was obviously the king of Valencia and then played at Real Madrid with Vincent Del Bosque and, but Juan was Juan was amazing you know and um just just guys really really wanting to to help me older generations but they, they really opened the door for me to, to get into these clubs. You see, Brendan, it, I, I feel,
1: without being critical, I feel that quite often in, in British football, or what you and I have learned in, in our lifetimes, it's a little bit like industry. Secrets or, or ideas are uh, your um, possessions you wouldn't normally share. There's a lot of jealousy and secrecy. Whereas... I sat down with a, a development man at, at the Federation and he said, oh, I'm taking all the... He was giving me a big interview for the book that we had and he said, I'm taking all this several years ago to St George's Park. I was like, why are you going to train English coaches and footballers to?" I said, one, it's for the good of football because we spread these ideas and football goes. Two, by the time they're doing this, we'll have moved... Super answer, but did you get the feeling that you were in a football nation that wanted to share, not just out of politeness to Brendan Rodgers, but because there was a theme of, if we share this, the, the game
3: will grow? I suppose I never really looked at it that way, uh, Graham. It was, it was more that the, the openness of them towards me and the fact that they inherently believed in that way of working. And and like what you've said, most coaches like ourselves, you know, what you give out today, we're already looking for tomorrow's. You know, and and also not only that, you, you can you can you could give a book to to someone, but if they don't understand it and they don't believe in it, then they're never going to work that way anyway. You know, because to 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 play the way the teams do, to play the technical game in that way and, and, and the beautiful football, you have to have an inherent belief in it. You have to, to really believe in it under pressure. And uh, and that's, that, that's that's why sometimes it's difficult for for coaches to adopt that way of playing.
1: You, believing it under pressure refers to the player with the ball, the player making the run, the player who's got to hold his wide position when he's not getting the ball. It applies to the coach when saying, okay, we're up against a team, everybody's two. like Mourinho always wanted guys six foot and above, we're up, your nerve is about, I believe, I believe. It doesn't matter that it's not happening, I believe, it's central to me, I, I will never forsake these principles. That's the idea you're talking about there?
3: Yeah, yeah, because you, you're, you know, if you have a, a belief and a value in your work, then uh, that's that's the path that you go down, and of course, you're not totally fixed and naive to to the tactics of the game. But you know, I've had situations, especially in the beginning of my career, where you you say you've played a game and you've won a game. And I remember a game at Watford where we 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 got performance of the week and we won the game two 0 But I came in after the game and and it was arguably as unhappy as I've been as a manager. Why? Just because of the nature we. We played, I had only gone into Watford not that long and uh, we were getting some good results But and we were slowly getting towards uh, performing how I'd want to perform. But um, but I still wasn't overly happy with, with how we, we played. And even though we won the game, for me it's always about development, it's about performance. Uh, because I think if you can perform to a high level, that's going to get you closer to the results that you want. And then ultimately at the top level, hopefully get you closer to winning what it is you need to
1: win. What impact did it have on you? Not necessarily when Guardiola was appointed, because you'll have known and admired him as an organising passer, and a key element of the dream team. But when he takes over in 2008, Brendan, you'll know from your time here, there weren't great fanfares. and, And literally, apart from Cruyff, and Chicky nobody really knew what was about to happen. But during that year when they win the treble and when he refines the team and that identity you're talking about at Watford, because the, the the merging of, I've got these talents, I've, I've got this guy out of the squad and they're playing my way. What effect was all of that having on you? One, in terms of you enjoying the football. And two, in terms of you going, Yeah 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 this this is what
3: I want yeah no, uh, he, he, he was so influential in that period you know he had a, he had the cracks he had the top talents but one how he emotionally was able to hook them you know to, because it's one of the biggest things that w- when you when you watch Barcelona or have you ever played against Barcelona it's how hard they work so to get top players to suffocate the ball that way, to shorten the pitch, to really make them run. Firstly, there's a real talent and management there in in relation to uh, emotionally with players, getting the buy-in. And then too, for him, it was the norm. He was going to allow them, get them playing the Barcelona way, getting back to big intensity, domination of pressing being aggressive and then playing a positioning game, not only a positioning game, but the speed of which they played was um, was absolutely remarkable. And game after game after game, and just seeing, like I said, real talents work that hard, but but have the hunger to do it every every uh, every game.
1: I'm, I'm not looking for fortification from, from you. I'm asking a question, but I, I remember I always used to write or say on television <clears throat> that this type of pressing isn't simply an athletic thing. Clearly, although you're, you're trying to, sh- because of your position and your reaction time, you're trying to shorten the number of metres you have to run to press. It's not a 25-metre press by any manner it means. But to me, pressing is, is a psychological thing. One, like you said, and I'm, I'm not certain every listener will understand because a lot of people still think you're a good player you're playing for a successful or a buoyant team, you're paid extraordinary money, well go and run we know that's not necessarily the attitude, that you actually have to persuade them on top of that. So, one, that's a psychological thing. And two, you have to know, you know, we're speaking of VE Day. If you think about Battle of, Battle of Britain, he, he, they press in formation. They press in RAF formation. It's like, if I'm here, I know he'll be there and he'll be there. And behind me. These are the things you're hinting at when you talk about, you, you called it a buy-in.
3: Yeah, well, well firstly... Ye you, you have to and and that's what I say when I talk with the players emotionally, you can have no ego. When you're when you're pressing with that intensity and that aggression, then you can have no ego because you have to do it. But but secondly it's the synchronization of it all. That's what's absolutely key in it. Because you can have no gaps. You know, if you're pressing from that front three or that midfield three but the back four are as deep as hell, then they play through that and then you're exposed. So the team always has to be synchronised and be together. Uh, and that was the beauty of, of of that team, watching the how narrow they made the pitch. Uh, but again, tactically reading the game, you get players understanding football. And it wasn't just about... The, the The guy pressing on the ball, it's the next pass, and then they could maybe there would be three, four passes and then they then they get it back. It was just a a phenomenal uh, piece of coaching and what with top class players to to make them play that way Once they went through at Chelsea, an extraordinary match
1: where over the two legs there has been a number of unusual decisions, red cards apparently not given on in both legs. And he has to scores late etc any, any split loyalties at that time because Chelsea has been an important club in, in your life a, a, a good learning place a good place to expose your talents and, and, and that was quite a contentious match and to some extent I imagine if you allow me to paint it black and white there's, there's friends and employers or ex-employers and, and, and there's my style the the loyalties on the night I suppose you say made a better team win but you must have had some degree of split loyalties
3: yeah I was actually at the game I I remember when Iniesta scored the goal it was an incredible goal Chelsea had actually played well (laughs) they had they'd actually played very very well on the evening and and were unfortunate in in some ways Um, but yeah listen I always you know Chelsea's a club I I hugely respect they give me a a wonderful introduction, because not only that, I was there at that time, 2004 when I joined, so I was actually there in that period of Eto and and the guys, when, when he was right at the top of his game and pressing and, you know, I used to say to my young players about, you know, show them videos of Eto and how he was never in contact and how he pressed and and, and how he ran and how he worked, so... So there was a great learning going on. Even though it was at Chelsea and we we had top-class players there, we were also able to show other world-class players and teams and how they functioned. I think he's a little bit underappreciated. I I
1: keep taking little tributaries off the main River here because to me, I I find it hard. I've I've worked around watching and speaking to Villa and Raúl And Del Nino Torres and now we'll come to in a minute the huge surprise to me about Luis Suarez about how clever a footballer he is I'd seen the scoring and the competitiveness but Eto'o to my mind um, is is and always was literally extraordinary and the embodiment of what you say about he, he had a tremendous massive ego off the pitch but on the pitch it was win, win, win and a lot of people talk about winning and don't go like I'm all in. I'm all in every day. Winning is everything. I, I, and that was Eto. And for that reason, over a number of years, you build a position whereby no player in history has won back-to-back trebles at two different clubs, except, I mean, one player in the entire history of football is Eto. And I, I think that links into what you were seeing in him as a, a raw player in those early days.
3: Yeah, he was phenomenal. And, and, and when you're a present team, and when you want to really go and grab the game by the scruff of the neck and get after teams. You need your striker that has no ego in terms of running. And in that time, that's he was one of the best at it. He was so cute. He was so clever in his press and he was tactically brilliant in relation to what he would press, how he would press the goalkeeper always. He would... Read second balls and and then, like I said, this which was a change for me because you grew up in, in British football and the striker was always told to back in to the the centre half, take the ball his feet, lay it off. But when you watched Eto, I always just remember uh, speaking to John Terry after him and, and what any time John would go near him, he would come away from him. So he never he never had the contact, and he had this incredible ability, Eto, that. He would take the centre defenders for a walk and then when they came far enough, he would get turned and he would nutmeg them and then he was away. In that period, he was was so difficult to play against and watching him close up on his movement, how explosive he was, and obviously when he got in, he could finish. He was a real talisman for that team and obviously I then had the great opportunity to work for two years with with Luis Suarez, who uh, was a very similar type in terms of personality you know big player uh, but no ego just worked his socks off but so tactically good in the game different athlete
1: though Brendan so Suarez in effect not he'd had the Uruguayan school and the, the streets of Uruguay when you're playing there teach you hard things but he had the Ajax school too which I think Jigsawed perfectly into his understanding of what the ball was for, how you won, whether it was a time to be selfish or whether it was a time to look for a teammate and then get it again. That seemed to blend, but he's such a different athlete than eto who who really is a, a phenomenal athlete and luis suarez is, is 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 good in that sense but he he never had the pace for example and he, he he long runs weren't him so i felt when i began watching him here i hadn't had the time to appreciate other than the highlights when he was with you that what i was seeing was one of the smartest footballers that i've ever witnessed and and, and i believe tell me if i'm wrong that's probably what made him one of the few football... In fact, he's the best partner Messi's ever had. And it's difficult to partner Messi. Is that making sense? Do I convince you?
3: Louis is a very selfless player. Louis is one where he will get you goals, but he, he's very much a team player. You know, Normally, strikers, of course, they can be up there and they're very much about the goals and, and whatnot. Louis would score, but listen, I, I remember a game... We 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 played one of the best performances I had at Liverpool at Anfield. It was top versus second, and uh, we beat. Beat um, Arsenal. Awesome. Yeah, five one.
1: Yeah, what a game!
3: And I asked Louis on that day to play just around the corner in a uh, in a wide position, so I could get Daniel Sturridge central to run in behind Mertesacker and Koscielny to let his pace. Now on that day, Daniel scored two. And Raheem Sterling scored two, uh, and he never scored Louis, but do you know what? He was so happy after the game, his running and he put in that day, everything he did, and and that's what I mean by him. He he he's a goal scorer. He'll always get goals, but Louis was such a team player, and he would have, he would have looked after Messi as well. You know, I remember first watching Louis when he first went to. Barcelona people were thinking, mm, is he going to fit in technically? And it can, but like you say, arguably Messi couldn't have a better guy to play with and to look after him because he really looks after his teammates as well. Louis,
1: you, you've, uh, please dismiss this because it's an old theme of mine. If you don't agree, I, I think we've talked about in well, in John Terry and Eto and Suarez, people who epitomise this truth about like. I have to win. We have to win. I believe I've encountered or seen a lot of people in football who talk about being the best, who talk about wanting to win, but they're not all in all the time. Everything out there, it's about like, what's best for me? Or um, if I get a draw here, it'll be fine. Or I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder at the next man in the team or what the headlines say about me or what the directors think about me. Am I differentiating between types of people you've encountered in football? And I'm identifying Suarez, Aneto and Terry who are ferocious competitors and aren't just better footballers than the ones they leave behind. It's about this win. Win, 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 win,
3: win. Yeah, but it's also the process to win because that's what's key. Because everyone will tell you, I've had players all my life saying, I want to be the best. I want to be a Ballon d'Or winner. I want to do this and I want to do that. And and then you'll see the one of the last ones in in the morning just before the time they should, and then one of the first ones away. So, so that doesn't stack up. But What you have with these guys, what you see with the, the, the really top-level players is that their commitment mentally, they show that on a physical side. And what I mean by that is players will tell you initially mentally, this is what I want to do, but then physically they don't put the work in. You know the 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 guys like Louis, they're they're gifted players, but they're also working talents, and that and 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 being a winner and succeeding is everything to them in their life. So they prepare themselves from their first waking moment, how they look after their bodies, how they rest, how they recover, how hard they train, how they study the game, and then how they're then then ready to play. And and that's the difference between world class. And the guys that maybe are trying to to get there was I right to put John in that group? John Terry. John was a world class centre half. You know he was top top centre half. You know John never got everyone sees John in terms of the how courageous he was and how brave he was. John was tactically brilliant. He knew the game. You know he was a centre midfield player at Chelsea as a young player, and then in a game he was moved back to centre half. So he played the game. As a, like a central midfield player, uh, but he was so courageous, but how he organized the game and and what and a top passer he was, you know left foot, right foot, you know you could see well, when John played, John could play two touch and uh, and that's the players that, that that see the game early. they, they already know what they're going to do, and the touch is to liberate
1: them or get them a space or to pretend they're doing something, but they know where the ball's going. Yeah,
3: John Ty was a world-class uh, centre-half in the period that he was playing.
1: Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at ACAST and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Hunter. Here end of the lesson.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming...